Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Let's pray together. So, Lord, as we uh, come to your word now and, and review it and go through it quickly, I pray that you'd be with me, the words in my mouth. And the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. I pray you'd be with all of us as we hear your word. And that in it, Lord, you would show uh, your goodness and your mercy as a God who pursues his people, people and keeps his promises. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just two, two quick notes uh, that some folks wanted me to mention. One is that if you don't have one, there's these things called uh, these Bible reading journals. And we bought a bunch of them for Genesis. And a lot of people have found them helpful. Pastor David, hold, hold that up really high. Those are still available at the book cart out there, and it's a way that you can take notes and follow along. And so the folks who are selling them at the book cart want you to know that they're there for your help as we continue in Genesis. And then also, on the Church Center website or app, we have our Genesis reading plan so that you can know what's coming up and can actually read it ahead of time and be prepared as you come in here uh, more prepared to hear God's words. You've already been in it yourself during the week. If you're nervous about uh, 20 chapters, I might be more nervous. So I'm going to try to stick to the script <laughs> and get to it here quickly. Um, so last week, uh, we saw the goodness and greatness of God in bringing form and life and light simply by his, his word. He spoke it into existence out of nothing. We saw the, the crown of his creation as human beings made in his image as male and female to reflect his beauty and goodness and then bring that beauty and goodness to the ends of the earth. We said that's why we're made. That's why we exist. We saw perfect, sweet fellowship with and worship of God by the first humans and therefore perfect fellowship with one another so that they were naked and unashamed, fully known and fully loved. We saw God's people in God's place enjoying God's presence without any sin or suffering or disease or death. Shalom was there. The perfect rhythm of the universe is marching along as it was meant to march along. The perfect melody of the universe, every note sounding just how it's supposed to sound. And we said, this is what our heart longs for in its very deepest places. It's what your heart longs for, to, to know and fellowship with God. And then we saw it all go bad. So it all go bad in just a moment. Humans rejecting the goodness and greatness of God by beginning to doubt the goodness of his word and then running after their own greatness. Right? Is he really good? And I want to be really great. Fellowship was broken with God and they hid themselves from him and tried to cover up their nakedness on their own. And God came and mercifully exposed their sin. The creation was cursed and they had to leave God's place. So sin broke that perfect peace and the rhythm of creation was broken. It just wasn't moving along like it was supposed to anymore. And none of the notes quite sounded right anymore. And then we ended with a jolt of hope. And in the midst of the suffering and the brokenness, through sacrifice, God covered their nakedness with mercy 
in ways they couldn't on their own. And God promised one day an offspring would come to crush the head of the serpent and bring God's blessings far as the curse is found. And the rest of Genesis and the rest of the world and us sitting in this room right now is God pursuing his people. It's God keeping that promise of a snake-crushing, curse-undoing offspring that would come and would bring God's people to God's place to enjoy God's presence again and restore that perfect rhythm and melody of the universe. And what we're going to see today is how he does that. We're going to see it quickly together. So God pursues through covenant. So the question of the rest of the Bible after Genesis 1 to 3 is this, how? How will God pursue his people to keep his promises through an offspring to undo all this wrong and once again make it right? How is God going to do that? And that's what we're going to try to answer today. So first we're going to see he does it through Noah. So this background of covenant and God pursuing his people helps us understand Genesis 4.1, which is the very next verse after what we covered last week. Here's what it says. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. But probably not the first thing any of you ladies said in here after you gave birth, right? I've I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Why is she saying that? And don't worry, I won't go verse by verse through 4 to 25, right? What's she looking for? She's looking for this, this offspring of promise. She wants it all made better right away. But we know what happens. In Genesis 4, Cain gets jealous of his brother. Cain doubts God's word like his mom and dad. He's overwhelmed. He distances himself from God. He he hides. And then when he's found out, all of that ugliness inside of him comes overflowing onto his brother. And he kills him. Kills him. There's murder in the first two siblings, which just keeps showing us sin has broken everything And it only gets worse. If you read Genesis 4, we have kind of a genealogy of sinful escalation that culminates with this guy named Lamech who boasts about how his cruelty and his murderous ways are ten times more extreme than Cain. That's his boast. That's where the the world has gone after sin has broken it. So the line of promise will not go through Cain. We begin to see in the Bible a line of promise and a line of the serpent that are going to compete for the rest of the Bible and the rest of history. But then in chapter 5, verse 3, we hear these words about a new son in the line of promise. Here's chapter 5, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his own image, and named him Seth. Those are the same words from Genesis One, here's a reminder to the reader who's paying attention that God is still working. His image is still there, even if it is messed up a lot by sin. And in chapter 5, we have a genealogy. Not like chapter 4 that gets us to Lamech, who is boasting in his sin, a genealogy in chapter 5 that gets us to Noah, 
This guy named Noah, who was one who was walking with God so that God found him as favorable. Noah found favor in his sight in a world that according to Genesis 6-5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth so that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So in the midst of that, Here's Noah, a genealogy that gets us to this line of promise. God's still working. The image of God is still there. The offspring's still coming. And so rather than the beauty and goodness of God spreading through his image, every intention of the heart, every thought of the heart is only evil continually so that the ugliness and the disobedience of the serpent is what's spreading and infecting everyone and everything. And so in chapters 7 to 8, after having been introduced to Noah, this righteous man in whom God finds favor, we have the story of the flood. And the flood is a picture of the seriousness of sin. Or the story of the flood that comes to bring righteous judgment on the whole earth. With the exception of Noah, who is kept safe with his family and the animals in the ark. A picture of God's judgment of sin, but also a picture of God keeping his people through the waters of judgment, through an offspring in the line of promise. So as we come out of the flood, in chapters 8 to 9, we find the covenant with Noah. So the floods happen, here they are, and God promises to Noah that he will never bring destruction of the whole earth like this again with the flood. And he puts his rainbow in the clouds to show that he has put his weapon against mankind away and instead will sustain life. So why is this important? Why is the covenant with Noah important? Because it's God's promise to keep sustaining life, even life filled with sin and brokenness, so that he can pursue his people. That's why he's doing it. So he can pursue his people with his promises. This covenant, the covenant with Noah, is why we're sitting here today. Right? This covenant with Noah is why we're alive and breathing today. It's not that we are a far better generation or that sin has stopped spreading so God no longer needs to punish. It's that God is keeping his promise to us today to never again destroy the earth. So God is still working. And after the flood, there's this brief moment where we might think, maybe it's Noah. Maybe it's him. Right? Maybe God's people can have a redo. He can be like a, a better Adam in God's place with God's presence without any sin again. But soon after, Noah sins profoundly. <laughs> Just profoundly, as if to leave no doubt in the reader's mind, it's not him. It's not going to happen through him. He's not the offspring. And as sin begins to infect the world again after the flood, the story of the Tower of Babel happens. Where the people on the earth decide they will make a tower to heaven and they will make a name for themselves. The prideful soul of human beings continues to ignore God's good word and seek its own greatness. Right? We don't want God's greatness and God's good word. We're going to ignore God's goodness and seek our own greatness, our own name. So they're like, we're going to build a tower to heaven. It's going to be awesome. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And the text has this funny line where it says, God had to come and stoop down to see their cute little tower. Right? To just show the foolishness of this pride, the foolishness of this ridiculous notion that they can be great apart from God. And God scatters the peoples across the earth and he confuses their language 
A curse of some kind, certainly a a curse and discipline of some kind, but also a, a kindness to keep them from living and dying in their prideful, self-sufficient, God-ignoring ways. And then we see him continue his work through Abraham. So after God disperses them, we get another genealogy in chapter 11 that gets us from Noah all the way to this guy named Abram. And if you're reading the story carefully, the, the problem for God to pursue his people has gotten harder because now his people are dispersed all the way across the face of the earth. So somehow God will have to pursue them to the nations. And if you're reading carefully, chapter 12 begins to give us this picture of how God's going to do it. Listen to chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, or look in your Bibles with me if you're keeping up. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred in your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in the Tower of Babel, it's we want to stay here, cluster here, and make our name great. And here in Abraham, it's I want you to go to those people, and I'm going to give you a great name that you might make my name great. Great. It's a complete reversal. He's going to have to go to the nations to rescue and ransom God's people. And in him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So hear the echo of Genesis 1. Go, fill the earth. I will bless you and pursue you and protect you as you go to make much of me and follow me and make my goodness and greatness known. Go and have dominion. So Abram goes. And God brings him to this foreign land and shows it to him. And he says this in Genesis 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. That term's just going to keep showing up. You're meant to see it's meant to be repeated enough that you just go, Why offspring all the time? Here in Echo of Genesis 3, there is still a promise of God's people in God's place, the land now, to enjoy God's presence. God is working to pursue his people. God confirms his covenant with Abraham again and again through the rest of his life, just showing up repeatedly and saying, Abraham, remember what I told you. Remember who I am. Remember that I'm for you. Remember that I'm with you. And he's just going to keep doing that over and over again. The covenant with Abraham is one that says God will work through an offspring to reverse the curse and bless all the nations. That is a wild promise. (laughs) It's a wild promise in light of what we've seen, and yet God keeps working. Kids, I was thinking about this um, this week, and just the, the story of Genesis is crazy, if you read the story of Genesis. So I was wondering, if you've ever watched a movie where there are a bunch of crazy things that happen and it seems like the good team will never make it out alive or ever win. If you're going to read Genesis and all the things that we're about to talk about, you would go, the good guys can never win this one. God cannot win this one. But like in those crazy movies, the good guy wins. God's going to win. He's going to pursue his people and make sure that they make it together. And so we're going to quickly go through this wild, wild ride together. And so I want you to keep these two things in mind. All the while we talk about these events, keep in mind that no amount of sin will make God destroy the earth. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a promise. 
And keep in mind that God will preserve the line of promise through an offspring of Abraham to bring God's people to God's place to enjoy God's presence. So with that, we're going to go through my hope as we go very quickly. We're going to even pick up the pace more now is that you will hear a bunch of stories as the same story of God keeping his people uh, to the very end. So, in case anyone thought Abraham was the promised offspring, right? I mean, who, who, he'd be a good character, right? Hey, Abraham, you don't know where you're going. You've been in this land worshiping other gods. The real God shows up to you and says, hey, go to this place, and what does Abraham do? He goes, <laughs> That's crazy. He goes. He moves his whole family and they just go to some foreign land with with no plans. So you might think maybe this is him. This is the perfect offspring who would trust God's word and protection and he'd be about God's promises. Well, right away in Genesis 12, there's a famine in the land that God promised Abraham. Does Abram stay and trust God's word of blessing? He doesn't, right? (laughs) He's journeyed all across this land And now there's a little thing like a famine. And he goes, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. And not only does he leave, not only does he leave, he goes to Egypt and makes his wife lie because she's beautiful and he wants to protect his own well-being. So very quickly we see it's not Abram. Abram's not going to be the one. He's not going to be the offspring. And not only... Does he do that? But Pharaoh takes her into his house. Like this is a direct threat to the promise of an offspring. Right? This is a direct threat. It's supposed to be through Abram and Sarah, his wife, that the offspring comes. Now he doesn't have his wife anymore. And she's in Pharaoh's house. Like what will happen? How could he get her back to, to protect her? So Pharaoh takes her in. But God mercifully preserves Sarah shows Pharaoh what's going on, and then blesses Abram on the way out of town. You just go, how? How could you bless this guy? He's an, he's an idiot. He's so fearful. Right? He just gave his wife to a foreign king. Well, God blesses him because God keeps his promises to his people. Not because they earned him. Not because they deserved him. Not because they lived up to him. Because God keeps his promises to his people. So God keeps his promises even when they're foolish and don't trust him. Abraham's story is a story of God's power to keep his promises despite us. And Abraham's story is a story of how walking with God slowly through our failures and through our successes and through God's mercy and grace in it all slowly but surely actually will change us to trust him more. Both of those are there. So if your story of sanctification is up and down and all over the place and you just are worried about that, that's normal. And God will keep his promises to you despite you. And God will grow you and mature you more and more into his image. All right, Genesis 13. Lot and Abraham are traveling together. Their flocks are too big to stay together. And so they separate. Lot goes where it looks good to his eyes. He goes, that looks like the Garden of Eden down there. It looks awesome. I think I'll take that. Abram shows some growing faith in God's promise, and he lets Lot choose. And after Lot leaves, there's this beautiful picture in Genesis 13 of God coming and walking Abram through the whole land to remind him of his promise. It's like he takes me, he's like, 
hey, you, you get it. You, you just took a step with me. Now let me walk you through this land side by side and just show you this is all going to be yours. I'm here with you. I'm going to be with you. Can you imagine just walking with God and having him remind you that he's for you and he sees you and he'll keep you? Genesis 14, Lot is taken in a territorial war by these warring kings and we see God bless Abraham as he gathers men and rescues Lot. And then this guy, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, comes up and shows and blesses Abraham to show that God is indeed with him and will preserve his line in the face of famine and pharaohs and fighting. God's here. He's with him. In Genesis 15, right after this, God shows Abraham the stars and says, I will make your offspring this numerous. Now you might think, well, that's an easy promise to believe, right? Because God said he's going to do that. Well, the problem is that Sarah's been barren. They don't don't have hope. They don't know how to do this. But it says Abraham believes God. And God counts him as righteous by faith. And shows the reality of how we are declared righteous. By faith alone. Through grace alone. Not by any works. And then God confirms that covenant by swearing by his own name to keep it. So he's declared righteous by God. And then that covenant is confirmed by God himself. I'm going to keep this. And then we get to chapters 16 to 20. And we have these stories that are really all about Sarah's barrenness and the way Abraham and Sarah try to solve it themselves. Not trusting God, but trying to figure out how how do we make God's promises happen? They're not happening when we want them to. They're not happening how we want them to. They're not happening as quickly as we want them to. How do we make God's promises happen? And the stories are really sad. I mean, they use and then abuse Hagar the maidservant. They just use and abuse her. But God sees her and cares for her like he always does for the downtrodden and outcast in Genesis. So if you feel downtrodden and outcast right now, God sees you. He hears you. He loves you. He won't forget you. God calls Abraham to circumcise all his male offspring. Why? To remind them that this line will continue. Someone said, oh, it was in a podcast we were doing. Like, why circumcision? That's kind of strange. Why Why do that? Well, it's because he wants to remind them that the line will continue. Every time a male offspring is born, it will be marked To show that God's promise and God's covenant words to every generation that the promise is real and that's their hope in the midst of a broken and sinful world. It's this constant reminder, I'm still here. I'm still working. The promise of an offspring is still alive and well. In this same chapter, Abraham and Sarah have their names changed to mean father of a multitude of nations and queen to show that they're overseeing a royal family meant to show the promise and goodness of God. Then we have this story where God shows up to Abraham's camp. And he comes and he tells, tells Abraham, uh, one, uh, I'm going to go destroy Lot and his city, where the city where Lot lives. And two, oh, by the way, in about a year from now, Sarah's going to have that offspring I told you about. And in both places, we just get to see how God works in the darkness. Because what does Sarah do? Do you remember? She's listening somewhere. We don't know exactly where she is, but... She laughs, right? And, and then he says, why did you laugh? And what does she do? She does what Adam and Eve did, right? I didn't laugh. 
And he said, you, you laughed, right? I'm God. I heard you. You laughed. But in this moment, we get these two pictures of, of mercy. Because what Abraham does after that is he intercedes for Sodom. He intercedes for her. And he cares for Sarah and he draws her out and he, he talks to her. And in what we get to see now is that God hears the prayers of his people even in doubting ugly places in our hearts and even in doubting ugly places in dark cities. Like, like God is going to just keep shining his light through the prayers of his people and keep keeping his promises despite our doubts and the darkness of the world that we live in. And in chapters 20 to 21, Abraham makes Sarah lie again. Right? He does the same thing again. I mean, it would be extreme and feel totally out there, except how many of you have done the same sin twice? Anybody? Get your hands up. Anyone? See, you're in good company, right? And, and this is Abraham, right? We're just like, Abraham, why? Why would you do it again? And then we say that to ourselves, like, why? Why do we keep doing it again? Because the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel, the story of Abraham in Genesis is not Abraham grows into his salvation, not that he somehow earns it and he never makes mistakes again. It's the story of God keeps working despite him and slowly but surely grows his faith. So he, he does that again and again. God protects her and blesses them. And they even make a treaty that they get to stay in the land showing that God will preserve his people and give them this place. And then in chapter 21, after decades of waiting, Isaac is born. We just found this in the choir room. It's a picture by a little kid. It's a mom who seems very happy, and it says at 99, he still had no son. Now he does. <laughs> that's, that's the story. Thank you for listening, kids. Actually, I think that was your Sunday school lesson, so I should not take credit like you remember six months ago. Um, but that's what, that, that's what they've been waiting for, right? Isaac is born. The promise is fulfilled. Isaac literally means to laugh because God has the last laugh. Right? He always does. God always gets the last laugh over famines, over pharaohs, over fighting, over foolishness, over fear. God always gets the last laugh. He keeps his promises by his power. He pursues his people. All seems well. Finally, our son, the promised offspring, until the next chapter, right? When, in chapter 22, what does God ask Abraham to do? God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, the promised offspring. And somehow Abraham has grown here. He trusts God's word, even to the point that we find out if we read the book of Hebrews, that he thought, well, if I actually have to kill Isaac, because he's the promised one that God has promised, God's going to have to do a resurrection here. That, like, that's his mindset. That's how he's, how, he's, how he's grown in his faith. But God provides a ram in Isaac's place and keeps his promise. In chapter 23, Sarah dies, and Abraham makes sure, I think by faith, to bury her in the land of promise. The tradition there would have been, let's bring her back to where she grew up. Let's, let's bury her there. But he haggles with an unfair dude. And he finds this cave that he gets to bury her bones in. Because he goes, we're, this is where we're going to be. This is where God's people are going to be. So you're going to be here with us. 
Later on, if you read through the Old Testament, you should do this sometime, track how they will go and they will visit this cave to build their faith. As the spies enter in later, they will visit the cave. Why? To build their faith. This is where we're going to be. This is where God's people are. These are Sarah's bones. These are Abraham's bones. This is where we're going to be. And then God shows up in chapter 24 in this miraculous way with this crazy story of this servant again traveling to a faraway place with not much of a plan to get Isaac this chosen one, a bride from their own people and have her come live with him in the promised land to keep God's people in God's place. He's just working his story over and over and over again. And again, Isaac and Rebekah experience famine and barrenness like Abraham and Sarah did. But they don't go down to Egypt and they don't try to find the offspring their own way. In fact, what it emphasizes is that they stay and they pray. And God in his free, promise-keeping power grants them not one but two kids. By his free, sovereign mercy says the older will serve the younger. They are chosen not because of tradition, not because of good or bad they've done, not because of any human conditions. If you read the story, neither of them are awesome guys. Esau and Jacob are not awesome guys. It's rough. But rather, by God's free, sovereign mercy, he chooses Jacob and continues the line of promise through him. And it's God's free, sovereign mercy that chooses us. That's the the story. It's the gospel here in Genesis. God has once again overcome every obstacle to keep his promise going. God pursues his people through covenant with Noah and with Abraham. That gets us to chapter 26. God renews his covenant through Isaac. Now, if you're worried about what time it is, it's okay. This is really quick. The reason I can do all of 26 in about two minutes is this. It's all the same themes, all the same promises, and the same God. In verses 1 to 5, God simply renews the covenant he made with Abraham, with Abraham's offspring. He promises, I will keep keeping my promises. And he says, for Abraham's sake, Now, we don't read that again, right? We're we're growing as readers of Genesis. We're not reading that when we hear for Abraham's sake and going, because Abraham did a lot of good things. That's not what we're hearing anymore, right? What we're hearing is, I made a promise. I made a promise, and I keep my promise. I'm keeping it for Abraham's sake means I keep my promises, and I made a promise that there's going to be this line of offspring. You're the offspring, so I'll keep keeping my promises, Now, we could say, could Isaac be the one? Probably not, even right away, because he has some questionable parenting and favoritism. But if there was any doubt, in verses 6 to 16, we see Isaac's fear and God's faithfulness as he asks his wife, Rebecca, to lie and say she's his sister because she's also very beautiful. Like the same thing. We want better for our kids, don't we? Uh, we want them to be a step ahead of us. But, but, but God is going to keep working. And again, God preserves her. He protects her. And like he has all the vulnerable and used people we see in the story, he's for her. And then, despite Isaac's foolishness, he blesses him. Again, he blesses him. And he's blessed so much that Abimelech, the king, says, can you please leave and go somewhere else because you're too big and too strong for us. And from verse 17 to the end of the story of chapter 26, Everywhere Isaac goes, there are quarrels 
and no room for them. Now that might seem like a small thing, but it's again a threat to them settling in this promised land. So eventually they find a place to settle. They make a treaty again with the kings that they can stay. And again, God has preserved his people with a future look to them being in his place again to enjoy his presence. Verse 24 is a good summary. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. Isn't that what Abraham needed to hear? Don't be afraid. Don't trust yourself. Don't, don't fear. Fear not. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what it means for God to be in covenant with his people. For him to be with them and for them and pursuing them over and over and over again. Fear not for I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So we could keep following this line of offspring to the line of King David. You just keep, that's why the Bible has genealogies to show you this is real, to show you the offspring is coming. So don't skip the genealogies. At least read the beginning and the end so you see where it takes you. That's why they're there. And where we would get to is we'd get to the line of King David. This shepherd boy turned king by slaying a giant and preserving God's people who was a man after God's own heart, lest you think he's the offspring, but also sinned and failed in massive ways. And he writes these words in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, pursue me, pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if we keep following this line, to have this matter to us today, we need to follow the line of promise a little further than David to Jesus. The son of David, the, the offspring, right, that this book has been talking about. And he is the only offspring that came, right? The story of the Bible is like, here's a guy, I used him to do some stuff despite himself. Here's a guy, I used to do him to do some stuff despite himself. Here's a guy, none of them perfect. None of them can crush the serpent. But then Jesus comes and he's the offspring that came. He lived a perfect life we couldn't live. Never sin. Never any sin. Jesus, I was just marveling at that this week. Jesus never sinned in thought or in deed. Lived the perfect life we couldn't live. Died the death after he never sinned that I deserve to die to forgive me, to forgive you. And then he rose again to conquer death. And then it's by faith in him, like Abraham's faith in Genesis 15, by faith in him that God is pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives despite our own foolishness and fear. Right? Through disease, through death, through suffering, through sin, through moments of weak faith, through moments of strong faith, God has promised, I will finish the good work I've started in you. He's promised no one can snatch us out of his hand. In Jesus, God pursues us through the new covenant and promises to keep running after us with his unstoppable goodness and mercy all the days of our life until we dwell in his house forever. In Jesus, right now, we're God's people in God's place enjoying his presence and we get to do it forever. We get to do it forever. And one day soon... The crazy story of brokenness that we see in Genesis, the crazy story of brokenness that we see in our world today will stop and will be swallowed up in the victory of salvation through a God who keeps his covenant promises to his people through a perfect offspring. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet because we're in Jesus. 
The story of Genesis is the story of how we got here by God's promises. And it's a picture to us that our God will not stop working for his people when he makes them a promise because he's good and he's great, like he said in Genesis 1. So if you feel down, and if you feel out, if you feel broken, if you feel beat up by your own sin or other sin today, you can know if you're in Christ that God is working a story of redemption and restoration. He's working it in your life. He's working it in the whole world. He's working it in your life. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, that story of redemption, God has planned before the foundation of the world, but you can kind of step into it today and go, okay, go to work in me, redeem, restore, heal, make me new. He will keep us despite us. Isn't that good news? He will grow our faith along the way. He's doing it through a promise of Jesus. He's going to bring his people to his place to enjoy his presence again by his free, sovereign grace, not by our works or our merit, which is good news. And in the process, he's redeeming image bearers that can give their lives to making much of Jesus. They can be renewed day by day into the same image to bring glory to his name and to seek to bring more people into the family until the day he returns and makes all things new, the day where we'll be in that place that's like the garden, but where sin never gets to come again. Let me pray. So Lord, we love your word. Uh, We love the story uh, that you tell us in your word that makes sense of the story that we find ourselves in in this world right now. Lord, we love that you sent Jesus to be the perfect offspring that no one else could be. We love that you're a God who keeps your promises and pursues your people by your power and your mercy. And so, God, what I'm asking you to do in this moment, we're going to come and eat and drink with you. We're going to come and sit at your table. I pray that you would pursue every person in this room by your goodness and mercy right now. Lord, where there is... Uh, sin that makes some feel distant and far off and unable to relate to you. Lord, would you mercifully expose it and draw them to yourself and restore and heal. Lord, where there's suffering that's making people wonder if they can keep going another day, would you show them that you will be with them? You made a covenant with them, which means they need not fear. You can be with them and you will be with them. Lord, where there's some people who just feel like life's too much, it's too hard, uh, God, show them mercy in this moment that you see them and that you hear them. And God, where there are people in this room who are sleeping in their faith, God, would you wake them up? Wake them up by grace. Pursue them in this moment with goodness and mercy that would have them alive and awake and engaged in your story of redemption, Lord. Christians should never be bored, Lord. This is what you're doing. You're working your promises. You're pursuing your people. You've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. You're going to keep doing it, Lord, until the day you return and make all things new. So come and bring us now back to yourself. Pursue us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives until we dwell in your house forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.